According to Ephesians chapter 6, the choice of weapon for the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you and on the inside of me is the Word of God. Hello, I'm Pastor Gray, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. In just a moment, you're getting ready to go into the service here at Emmanuel. And guess what we use to give the Spirit to work in our lives? The Word of God. I trust that the sermon you're about to hear, that God's Spirit will use it as His sword, and according to Hebrews, that it will get down into us and it'll start working in us, dividing asunder, and will do His perfect work. May the Lord bless you as you listen to the truth of God's Word. So if you take your Bibles, if you will, and uh, take your Bibles, and we're, we're going to go um, to, and uh, let me make sure I got the right passage. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. We're going to start out there, Proverbs chapter 11. We've been talking about a cabinet of counselors. We have been talking about uh, the fact of um, it, is, it is very important that each of us follow the command of God. Uh, we know, and, and I will not take time to belabor because we have a lot of verses to go through, but we know from the past couple of lessons in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14 that it says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is what? Safety. We know that the word counsel here is, has a definition of steerage. Um, we know that I showed you the picture last week. Who's in the booth right now? Do, do you have that ability? Is anybody back there? Are we flying solo? Okay. Can you put up the picture or you don't know how? Okay. There you go. Can you help me out, Brother John? So the word counsel there is, is one of the words is steerage. What it means is, is this passenger ship that would sail from point A to point B. They would carry the cargo, but they always left this underbelly, this second story, this midsection, if you will, and they used it for passengers. So you could buy passage. Now, they weren't the greatest of conditions. They weren't the best of possible conditions for the voyage. But when the word counsel is used here, it is used in terms of somebody to take the journey with you. Um, this is not counsel as in a one time like Jethro with Moses. Hey, let me give you some counsel. If you keep doing this, you're going to wear yourself out. There's a difference between counsel and a counselor. A counselor is somebody that goes on the journey with you. And uh, when they go on this journey with you, they're there. So the Bible says that this multiplicity of people this way, people that you have asked to come into your world, that you have put on that 911 standby that, hey, I'm facing something. Can you tell me how you would look at this? The past couple of weeks, we have talked about the fact that these people that you put, go ahead and put it up, Brother John, when you find it. These people that you allow in your life to go on this journey with you, they cannot be people that are tainted by the world because the Bible tells us that wisdom that is from above is first pure. So when you're trying to get the wisdom of God, then it's very important that you have people on your journey. And so this picture is just one of many that you can find if you look up the word steerage. And it is people that are in your life, people that are, that are on your journey. When a young adult comes to me and says, hey, I've made this decision, one of the very first things I ask them is, who's in your steerage? Who's in your council? Who have you labored with in this decision? 
And I find it amazing that when they stare at you and they go, uh, then what they're telling you is, I made this on the spur of the moment or I made this as a peer influence. I did not make this according to the Lord. And this is very important. Now, we talked about the fact that this counsel that, that you receive, that the first place you get the counsel is when you exercise your right as a believer to go to the throne of grace. You see, the day that Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent from top to bottom, which gave you and I direct access. You no longer stand on the outside and let a priest go in on your behalf. You have the high priest living on the inside. You can have the mind of God. But the reason that you need counselors is because you have the humanity part of you. You're still wrapped in a robe of flesh and where you're like, okay, I, I, I know what God's doing on my heart. I know what the Lord is doing. I just don't really know if I'm on the right track. So God's giving you counselors that can save you. Because look what it says there, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There's a rescuer. That word safety there simply means that somebody is rescuing you. So if you start going down a road of thought before your heart gets wrapped around it, somebody needs to say, hey, hold it, time out. Can, can we kind of revisit this? And are you looking at this the way it should be looked at? Because when God is working, then God opens up these doors. When man is working, man fights to open doors. And there's a lot of times that you have not misinterpreted what God is doing. Many times we misinterpret the timing of what God is doing. See, God gives us in our mind and in our heart dreams and visions of what we need to do. But sometimes you have to sit underneath a mulberry tree. And this is where counseling is very, very important. Now, just to recap, the person that you ask into this steerage um, their relationship with the world. If they are in yoke and if they are in fellowship or they have taken part or concord, as Corinthians tells us, then always know this, that they can't give godly counsel that matches what happened when you went to the Lord. It's impossible. So you want people that in your life that you are convinced have no desire to dance with the devil on Saturday night than show up and sing for Jesus on Sunday morning and they're living this dual life. Not that they're perfect. Nobody's perfect. But you have to be convinced that man or that lady right there is not being influenced by the world. I'm convinced they're not being influenced by the world. And then what do you want from this counselor? Then you want this counselor that is turned inward and all of a sudden they're not trying to get you to come off of what the belief system is that you already have. When somebody starts giving counsel that goes opposite, contrary to what God you've already learned. Do you know that there are generations right now that are wiping clean the slate of everything mom and dad taught them and everything their former pastors taught them? They're wiping it clean rather than building upon the doctrine and the teaching that they've been taught because of who they're getting counsel from. You see, the counsel that you need is not counsel that interprets a, a desert time 
as we should have never left Egypt. You can't interpret, we got no water, we should have stayed in Egypt. We have no food, we should have stayed in Egypt. It better we eat the, the garlics and the leeks from Egypt. No, no, no. A tough time doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. A tough time just simply means you're getting ready to see God do something amazing. But it takes somebody that understands God because you've been to God. Now it's like, I, I, need, I, need, I just need to bounce this one last time. Man, how do you see it? You need to be convinced that the people on the journey with you have no desire to live like the world. And that number two, that their belief system is not on trial. Their God is not on trial. That's what Hebrews 6, I believe it is, in verse number 1, says not laying again the foundations. You know, there's, there's no other. Once This doctrine is true, whether it's in this generation or five generations ago. His word was settled in heaven. And so the problem comes is that now decisions are making are being made. The steerage, the ship is being turned. Who is in our life that's helping us make these decisions? Then the third thing we talked about last week, uh, and, and that we're going to uh, get into, we're going to continue tonight, is, is the fact that this person, when it talks about aged, the very first time you find that word used in the Bible, in the New Testament, is with Zacharias. You need to be convinced that the person that is helping you has no tie to this world, doesn't love this world. You need to believe that the person that is going to help you is not going to, to, for you to dismantle what you believe. But you also need to be convinced that the person that is in this cabinet of counselors is spending time with the Lord. You know, Zacharias was doing his part in the order of the priesthood, and it was on the inside that God said, y'all going to have a baby. It so shocked him that he came out speechless for a long time. He was old, like Brother Queen old. And uh, so understand that, that it's, it's amazing how that the aged men are to teach the younger men. The aged ladies are to teach, Brother Moore, I wouldn't look at him, you're not that far behind. And, uh, and, and in fact, Brother Queen, I think you get a free pass because Brother Fisk is here tonight. So he just went, he's younger than you? Oh my, Brother Fisk. We're starting up a basketball team. You want to join? And uh, so, um, so understand that here you have somebody that, that the aged women and the aged men are to teach. Listen, but sheer age does not mean it's good counsel. It is aged people that spend their time with the Lord. I, I appreciate Brother Poncho. I appreciate him. And I appreciate the fact that he loves on my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. Because Poncho has nailed down in his life the value of the aged, I think I just called them old, of the aged people that spend time with the Lord in understanding that these are the people that you need in your steerage. These are the people that you need. Now, if you would, take your Bibles and let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And now what I want to do is, is I want to go down. Um, if, if, if you were in somebody's cabinet of counselors, okay, 
how, how would you counsel somebody? So if your children come to you and they say, hey, dad, mom, can I ask you a question? Um, I need some help making a decision. Then let me take you through what some verses here that will help you. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. I think the very first thing we have to realize, and we talked about this, that, that his name shall be called Wonderful, right? What is the second name given to Christ? Counselor. So we have to understand that the counselor of all counselors is Jesus Christ. In fact, did it not say in Romans that uh, who gave him counsel? Who gave God counsel? In fact, if you find the guy who gave counsel, somebody needs to recompense that guy. So we have to understand all counsel starts and ends with where it began, and that is God. So now God has left us his word. But how do you take this word and help people determine? Well, let me pause, hold there in Hebrews chapter 4. Are you there? And I want you to go back to Genesis chapter number 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, you give counsel the same way that God started with his children. Are you ready? If you go to Genesis chapter 3, I'm sorry, I didn't mean chapter 1. Hold your place there in Hebrews. Genesis chapter 3, do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Adam uh, was a recipient of the deception of Eve by the devil. And, uh, and so now we come to find out that the Lord comes and he, and he says to them, uh, let's see here, for God doth know, drop all the way down to verse 8. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, look at verse 9, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God started asking questions. He did not make statements. One of the, one of the things that you and I must remember is when your children and or anybody comes to you and they start asking you to be that person. When they pull their ship up next to your life and they say, could you get in my boat and would you be on standby to help me? Then we must understand we enter into this the same way that God did into somebody's life. He did that by asking questions. He asked the question, where are you at, Adam? He allowed Adam to answer. As soon as he answered, he asked him another question. Who told you you were naked? Then when Adam answered, then he then asked another question, moved on to the woman and asked, okay, so what did you eat of the tree? And he said, well, it's that woman you gave me. And as soon as the woman came in, then he stopped the conversation with Adam. He went to the conversation with woman, asked her questions. But as soon as he found out the source of the sin, he condemned the sin. And that was Satan. But up until then, he asked questions. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you give you, we'll go as far as time will allow here. And um, let's see if we can get past five of these. Would that be okay? Well, we're first going to start out in Hebrews. So go back to Hebrews chapter four. The thing we must remember is, is that the greatest counsel you can give anyone is from the word of God. Okay. So Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword 
piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I don't know what's going on on the inside of somebody, so I have to take a, 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 a camera, if you will, a little bitty camera, and you have to put it down into somebody's soul and heart and thoughts and intents, and the only person that can do that is God. Did y'all hear that? It's God. Because nobody ever comes to me or anybody and tells them everything going on. They only come with part. So because I'm not smart enough to know the entirety of it, something has to be given them. A drug has to be put into their spiritual person that it finds it out. And this is the word of God. That's very important. Do not answer according to your experience or your mind. We can't do this because my experience in 53 years is only as good as who my parents were, where I was raised at, how I was raised, how I was isolated. When I started talking about drink uh, two Sunday mornings ago, I had somebody come up to me and, uh, and uh, one of our, our guests afterwards, he said, you ain't never been drunk a day in your life, have you? And I said, nope. I said, did you tell? Could you tell? He goes, oh yeah. Because when you're trying to describe how drunk people act, you could tell you ain't never been drunk. I looked at him and said, you ever been drunk? He goes, all the time. He said, and let me tell you something. You fell short of what the excess was all about. You have no idea what people can get themselves into. Now understand this, because I am limited God is not limited. So now let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. So understand that the advice you give must come from the word of God. If somebody is trusting you that into this part of their life and, 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 and I need your help, then the word of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17. So now Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And this is where people go, well, they're just verses. They are not just verses. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, look at it, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, what please? Word of God. So what does God use? Long after your voice is done, what is that surgical instrument that God is going to use to cut through the thoughts and the intents of what's going on. The word of God. Amen. And this is where anybody who gives counsel but can't go to the word should not be allowed on the journey of your life. Amen. Or you will only rise as high as the person you've talked to. There are counselors here in town that deal with mental health and they are licensed in what they do. And there are some times that they, they need a little bit extra that I cannot give them. And they are Christian counselors. And so when I send them to them, I'll, I'll make a phone call, I said, look, could you see somebody? And uh, they'll see them. And this has always been true. Every case, this is true that when they come back, they say that didn't work out like I thought it was gonna work out. Now, some of it, it does, and I'll tell you the difference between the two. The moment the counselor 
stops using scripture. And they have sessions without scripture. That's when all of a sudden the council makes no sense. Because counsel to a Christian must go deeper and must last longer than the 30 minutes or the voice of the pastor. You have to leave them with something that the Spirit of God starts working on the inside. And if we believe that this word is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The only other time I believe it is that the word two-edged is used is when it comes to a bad woman and the fact that her influence on somebody is this two-edged. Well, that's sharper than any influence then. And if the most powerful influence over a man is the intoxication of a lady, then understand this, that this word right here is sharper than that two-edged sword. And I'll just pause right now here and tell you this, man, any husband that doesn't read the word is vulnerable to the influences of a bad woman. The greatest inoculation, inoculation, if you're Barney, um, the, 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 the greatest shot in the arm, wife, is when you look at your husband and say, have you read the word today? Because it is the word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. So understand that the word of God's sharp. It is the spirit. It is the sword of the spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then we're going to start asking questions. Would that be okay? 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I'm not talking about crazy stuff like, Pastor, I'm at McDonald's. What should I order? Come on. You know, I'm not talking about crazy things like, hey, do I buy the red car or the white car? And which one do you think God will be pleased with? I don't care, you know. Uh, should I buy a Ford or a Chevy? Well, everybody knows the answer on that one, buy a Chevy. And uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that's until I buy a Ford. Then you're going to buy a Ford. So you say, what's your allegiance to the one that I own right now? And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verse number 11. For what knoweth the things of a man, look at this, save the... Spirit of man, which is what, please, in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the what, please, spirit of God. So when somebody says, what's God trying to do in my life? I don't know. And there are a lot of preachers who walk around and pastors walk around with this heavy burden that I have to know. Listen, I was set free the day that I realized I don't have to know what's going on in your life. Well, what's God trying to do? I don't know. Because the only person, I can say, then what are you good for, Pastor? I don't know. <laughs> so, so, but it says here, so, so what knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man, which is in him, verse 11, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost does what, please? Teacheth. Here it is. Comparing what? Spiritual with... You see, counseling is not comparing spiritual things and then dragging it down to this. Well, you know, when I was on the job the other day, no, 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 no. That's not, that's comparing spiritual with earthly. It's not, well, 
Well, you know what Red Arback said, the owner of the Boston Celtics, don't you? It may be good for basketball, but we're talking about spiritual. Are y'all with me? And what a lot of people try to do is they try to take business principles and use them to make a spiritual decision. They try to take something that works on the ball field to make a championship football team, and they try to use it for spiritual decisions. You and I are to compare the spiritual with what? Spiritual. Well, I hope I'm making sense because I'm enjoying myself right now. Look at verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness unto them. Hey, boss man, I know you got leprosy, and um, you need to go see the man of God. Man of God's like, you got leprosy. Go dip yourself in that ugly-looking river right there. Well, what's wrong with the nice rivers that are up there? Because God doesn't want you to dip in the nice rivers. He wants you to dip in the ugly rivers. You see, they're foolishness. Foolishness. And when you start doing this, that doesn't make sense. How am I going to get ahead in life if I... Because there's a God who knows how to get you where you need to be. And we can't pull into the narrative unspiritual things to try to figure this out. Now, there's nothing wrong with using this is how God worked in my life. As an example, look at verse number 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct what? Him. But we have the mind of Christ. Oh, please know this. The day you got saved is the day that God came to live on the inside of you and the third person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is his mind. And so nobody knows what God's doing. So, so when people come then, how do we do this? So, so now let's get to some basic questions from the word. Are you ready? So the first question, and these are not in order, they're just questions. What kind of provision will this move make for the flesh? So when somebody says, hey, pastor, I have this decision to make, I need to make this decision, and it doesn't matter what life decision it is, you have to go back to the word. So if you would, take your Bibles and go to Romans 13, verse 14. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 14. Some, you may be asked, and, and, uh, and again, you, you ask questions, and then you give the word of God as the answer. So what kind of provision... Will this make for the flesh? Romans chapter 13, verse 14. If you'll look at it. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I'm, I'm going to use some very basic counseling sessions right now to where this question was asked to show you the outcome. And all these I use by permission. People who take the counseling class that I teach sometimes in college, they love this kind of stuff because they hear stories that they've never heard before. And I just have to be careful which stories I pull out according to who's related to the people that I'm talking about. And uh, so, so some time ago, a young person came and their parents were like, they have an opportunity to earn some money this summer. And I said, okay, so what, what can I do for you? And they said, we don't know if this is the right kind of job. 
And I said, okay. So let's go to Romans 13, 14. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are they going to interact with anything there that is going to fulfill the lust of the flesh? So let me ask you about their flesh right now. What do they struggle with? And the, and the, and the teenager and the parent looked at me and, and I said, okay, so let's talk about your lust. What is it right now that you struggle with in the flesh? And they were very honest. So pastor, right now there is an issue with music. And I said, okay, so this place that you're going to go and you want to work at, have you been there and have you just sat through a shift and seen what goes on and what happens? And they were like, no. I said, okay. In order to be biblical, because you know where you're at, then you need to go sit. So, so this parent and this teenager went up and sat for an entire shift. And wouldn't you know it, at the times it wasn't busy, they turned up the music. And the parent told me when they came back and, and they said, uh, Pastor, it was amazing that when they turned up the music, my, my teenager dropped their head. And I looked at them and said, let's just be honest. If, if you had to be around that, what would it do to you? And the teenager said, but I think I can handle it. And they said, okay, let's go back and see Pastor. They came back the second time. Again, provision for the flesh. It's like taking a backpack and picking up things along the way. Please know this. Your flesh and my flesh, when it goes to make decisions, we have to consider what condition our flesh will be in at the end of this decision. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I said, okay, so now let's talk. They came back the second time. And I said, so let's, let's go back to the Bible. How did it go? How, how did it go? And they were like, well, they told me what happened. I said, okay, okay. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, if I can get to it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Would you please look at the verse right before it? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he what, please? Would you go to the verse before that? Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And what it's telling us is that these people, our, our spiritual forefathers back there in the wilderness, they all drank the same drink, they all ate the same meat, they all were on the same journey, but on this journey, there were some of them, and it says many, then it says some, that they fell because of their lust. And he said, now, now, and he says this, now don't think you're better than your forefathers. So you can't make a decision, well, that was them. That's not going to happen to me. You have to make the decision based on this. Is it a real, is it real, and could it happen to you and I? You know what the answer is? Absolutely it could happen. Because the Bible says, don't get too cocky about the fact, well, that was a different error. That was back there. We're New Testament Christians. Because look what it says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may, that, that ye may be able to bear it. I said, so when you were sitting there 
Is this a temptation? I said, Mama, could you work there and the music not be a temptation? And the mama said, oh, yeah, I could work there. It's not a temptation. I said, okay, teenager, could you work there and, the, and it not be a temptation? That Look what it says there. That takes you. It, it, it makes you captive, whether it's for a moment or whether it's for hours. But you know how you get into a life of captivity? It captures you for a moment and then lets you go. And then captures you for two minutes and then lets you go. You see, there's more to this in making decisions than what people realize. Well, I want money. That's a place that will hire me. I guess it's God's will. Please, decisions. And so I said, now let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 13. And by the way, everybody's got to make a decision. Okay, it is your sole liberty to make whatever decision you want to make. But I think it's foolish to go into anything without saying, okay, what does the Bible say? James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Look at this. Neither tempteth he any man. Do you know what this just said? That God's not going to put you someplace surrounded by evil to go, are you going to be a good little boy? God doesn't do this. He just, he doesn't lead us this way. So then it comes down and it says this, uh, cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own, what please? Lust. And what? Enticed. Then when lust hath conceived. So there's, it is no sin to be tempted. Listen to this. It is no sin to be drawn away. It is no sin to be enticed. It is only sin when the lust conceives an action. Once you have gotten to the point to where now it has birthed, conceived, it has birthed in someone an action, then look what it says. It cannot be tempted either, but lust when it's conceived, it bringeth forth what? Sin. And then sin, this act, when it is what? Finished, bringeth forth what? death. So when, when you're going through this, I, I think that we truly have to enter into what does the Bible say? And so let me ask you about your flesh. What kind of condition is your flesh going to be in? Now, this is crazy, y'all. This is crazy. Same job. Same job. They must have put out everywhere we need workers. Same job, another family comes in. So pastor, my kid's thinking about getting a job. They heard that, 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 this was opening up. A couple of their friends are trying to get jobs there. What do you think? I went through the same exact counsel. What do you struggle with? And they told me what they struggled with. Guess what was not on the list of the lust struggle? Music. It just wasn't there. And I said, have you ever been down? Went through the entire thing. They came back. The one parent said, yeah, it's my child's not worth taking a chance. I think we'll look for another job. Where the other family said, yeah, he'll be fine, and took the job. Here's where believers have a problem. Well, well, don't you think they're strong enough? I can't answer that. But that parent knew. That parent knew. And that parent, that parent's got to make that decision. 
Y'all, please know this, but that's with every decision. When you get ready to make these decisions and, and we make them arbitrarily without going, okay, what does God have to say about this? So one of the questions I ask is, is, is truly what's your flesh going to be like? And by the way, there are 12 more verses that I go through about flesh. I've been talking just on this subject um, for 20, 22 minutes. Counseling is not, let me ask you a question, give me a hit and run answer to make me feel good and walk out of my life. A counselor should be rattling off verses and it should be, this is what the word, taking into account what the word says. Because at some point the word's going to do its work. I have to believe that the word of God is going to do its work. Let's go to the second question. Will the move put you among those who would vex your soul? So would this one move put you among those who would vex your soul? Would you please go to 2 Peter chapter 2? And we have about 10 minutes before the young people invade the choir loft. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 6, look what it says. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example or example unto those that should after, that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So the next question you have to ask is this, will the move put you among those who would vex your soul? You see, Lot sat there along with his family. The word vex doesn't mean um, like the devil inhabits. The word vexed here means it's troubled. So vexed, he was troubled because of what he saw and what he heard. The queens will get exactly what I'm saying because they moved into the house that my parents moved out of. I did not know till years later that the reason they moved out of, is it Tomagene? Right, Tomagene. And my dad built a house at the very end of the block by a cornfield. I can never figure out why did you move out of this house and why did you move down? And you built a house in the middle of a cornfield at the end of the cul-de-sac. Until the other day, it was son living next to us. It was a young man my age named Steve. He was a drummer. And he was into hard metal music. He said, and son, every day you would go play. This is, this, Bourbonus, Illinois is a very small town. Olivet Nazarene, Nazarene College is there. It's a university now. We would ride our bikes. But I would interact I would interact. And my dad knew that I would have to see and I would have to hear. And so he made a decision to build a house because of one thing, to get his children away from what they would be vexed with. That means my daddy went in debt. But his kids were worth it. that house is a good deal. Maybe. But what neighborhood is it in? I use this by permission. There was a family 
when I first became pastor 12 years ago, for the first time, 12 years ago, that, um, that they came in and said, uh, hey, we're thinking about buying a house. Should we buy this house or should we keep renting and all this? I said, I can't tell you what to do. But let me, let, me, let me give you a verse. Have you been to the neighborhood? Yeah, it's a great neighborhood. What time of the day have you been to the neighborhood? Well, during the day. I said, have you been to the neighborhood at night? But pastor, this is a great deal. I get it. I get it. I'm not trying to tell you where to live. I'm not trying to tell you if you need to buy a house. You, can you afford a house? We can. Are the interest rates where you need to be? Yes. Perfect. What about the neighborhood? They said, we have never thought about that. So they went and sat in the neighborhood on a Friday night. And the next Sunday morning, I said, hey, how'd it go? And they said, thank you for that. Because there's no way I'm leaving my house to go work nights and leaving my family in that neighborhood. Y'all, we think it's like, well, it's a good house. I don't want you telling me what to do. But let me tell you something. I, 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 I'm not all that in a bag of chips. But would you please put somebody in your life that when you have to make those kind of decisions, that you just are collecting information. But you don't collect information on the fact of, ah, I bought five houses and, you know, is it a good deal? Good property value? Taxes low? What's the resale? Oh, yeah, get in on it. And your kids go to the devil because of the neighborhood that it's in. Or your wife is left unprotected. You know, the Bible is smart. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell the Lord exactly how good of a job he really did. Because just reading the Bible and going, these stories were not put here. Brother Bowen, you have the, the one verse, the one phrase I use all the time, and you may have stole it from Moses when you were with him. Um, but, but this is not all God knows. But this is all God wants us to know. Do y'all understand? He handpicked human history. He just didn't put those stories in there because he had nothing else to put in there. He handpicked them so that you and I could go to his word and say, if Lot didn't make it out, we're not making it out. People moved to East Texas. I met a gentleman tonight. He said, hey, welcome to East Texas. He was like, now this is incredible. And I said, why? He goes, People actually said hi. And they weren't throwing gang signs. I mean, these people opened the door for you. He said, this is the place to raise kids. I said, do you have any kids? He goes, no. I said, do you have a wife? No. But when I get a wife and I get kids, this is the place. No, listen, the Bible just covers it. Let me give you one more before the kids come in. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Just questions you ask. And I could spend the next three weeks. I probably will have to. First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 9. Miss Marquez, I had no idea you were going to be here tonight. But this got your husband written all over this one. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 9. Is, look at it. Look at it. For a great door and effectual door is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, now. This is talking about opportunity. So sometimes people come and say, Pastor, I have an opportunity. Okay. Now, it may be a great and open door, but the question is this. How effective is life going to be if you walk through this door? Brother Marquez was wanting to go pastor in California. God laid it totally on his heart. 
and we talked and we talked and we prayed and it seemed like forever. It really wasn't that long, but it was enough time to say this. Look, if you force open a door, you're, you're going to be in trouble. You need to see God open this door and you need to make sure that it's an effectual door. In other words, you got to make sure that the effectiveness, that you can be effective. And, um, and Ms. Marquez, I don't, I know you remember the story because y'all lived it with the uniform place that, that all of a sudden had a job opening and he wanted to go to San Bernardino. Did I get that right? San Bernardino, is it county or just the city? Both, county and the city. I said, God wants me to go back to California and start a church. I said, where? He said, San Bernardino, California. I said, okay, don't push a door open. Do not push a door open. A great open and great effectual door. You wait for God to open this door and you wait for him to make it effectual. His boss comes to him and says this, hey, I got an opening in San Bernardino. I don't think I'm saying it right. Bernardino, California. Would you be interested? Yes. And here's why. Because when God goes to do this, God's way ahead of where you and I want to be. But you have to wait because sometimes that open door is not the effectual door. Killian, I'm going to throw you under the bus if that's okay. Killian, what do you want to do in life? Killian's like, I want to be a lineman and I want to work for Swebco. So, okay, Killian. Killian was working for a co-op up here in Upshur County. We met, we prayed, we talked throwing scriptures into it, just, God, what are we doing? All of a sudden, they said to him, where do you want to live? And he said, East Texas. But he had to take a junket to West Texas. West Texas, right? How long were you out yonder? About a year. About a year out there. And then all of a sudden, this, I don't know what they call this section here, but they picked him back up to come to Longview. When he called and said, guess where I'm coming to? Coming back to Longview. Look, it's like, okay, God, you are so ahead of everybody. But the problem is not that God's not working. The problem is, is that we get anxious and it's bust down that door, tear that apart. We got to go now where, where you just, just got to. Now, now, I will tell you that a narcissistic pastor would have said, Killian, settle for less and stay here. You can't go nowhere. It's not God's will. Uh, Brother Marquez, stay here. Just everybody stay. No, you want what God wants. Y'all, listen to this. It is so important that we do it God's way. And this is what counseling is. Counseling is not the counselor telling you what needs to happen. Counseling is when the counselor says, let's compare spiritual with spiritual. Let's see what God has to say. Let's let God work. And when God works, we are going to be okay. I have more confidence in my God right now, and I'll tell you why. Because of the people sitting in this room that God has opened door and answered prayers and have just been way ahead of us. And when you see it happen, you're like, okay, that's incredible. Like, like who plans this kind of stuff? God plans this kind of stuff. And I think it's just a lot of God, a whole lot of prayer, and a whole lot of, I trust you. I believe in you. I really hope that you enjoyed the service here at Emmanuel. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. At the bottom of the screen is my cell phone number. 
If I can do anything for you, please give me a call. I trust that you'll be back with us for the next broadcast. God bless you, my friend. Have a great week.